0: Amen. Amen. We've enjoyed such wonderful song service this morning. And now take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 15. I want to invite you already to come back this afternoon at 530. Pastor Wyman will be preaching this evening. So please support him through your prayer this afternoon and by attending this evening I'm looking forward to what the Lord has for us through the preaching of God's Word, what His Holy Spirit has laid on Pastor Mike's heart. Also, I've noticed that we have several guests with us today, and some of you joining us for the first time, and I want to welcome you. After the service, I'd encourage you to come back to Connection Point. I have a gift to give you, to share with you before visiting with us today, and we'd like to get some contact information, so there's a connection card in the pew rack in front of you. If you would at some point fill that out, just share whatever information you're comfortable sharing. We'd like to follow up and just thank you for visiting and see if there's anything else we can do to be a help and a blessing to you. So thank you for coming today. Please remember to come back at the end of the service. And another little bit of a difference while you're turning to Acts 15, if you haven't found it yet. Um, at the end of our service, uh, before Pastor uh, Bowman comes to dismiss us uh, by leading us in a, in a hymn that we sing together, uh, Pastor Blake will come and we're gonna do announcements at the end. So there'll be no excuse for you to forget when announcements are and what was said, or if you need to go back to the connection point or, or, or go to the Church Life Center or whatever, the announcements are there. Whichever you need to sign up, whatever you need to remember, we're going to have that at the end of the service. So those of you with short-term memory loss, you don't have to worry about it because we're going to have announcements at the end, okay? And I trust that that will be helpful. Good to see you, Bill and Ashley and little one. She, yeah, all right. And so we are so excited for Bill and Ashley and for the addition to their family. What a wonderful miracle life is and how especially grateful we are uh, for God giving them this wonderful gift. All right. Before we read our text this morning, I want to talk a little bit about Friendly Fire. I I got to do something fun. Uh, uh, Jim Goodwin uh, gave me a brochure uh, a little while back and said, hey, listen, I know that you love um, airplanes and flight and history and all that stuff. And Delta um, opens to the public um, the weekend before Veterans Day, um, and they have planes from the World War II era up to the present day, and they do all kinds of special things Thursday afternoon and Friday. And so Friday morning, um, I had contacted Cameron and said, hey, do you want to go? I'll grab us tickets. And so Cameron and and Odin, my grandson and I, uh, we went down. Now Cameron said, well, um, can we go early so I can still get in half a day of work? So I'm like, well, sure. So I picked him up at six and we got down there, and, um, and, and we had fun looking at all the planes, and. Um, of course Odin loves anything that has wheels or anything that goes or makes any kind of a noise you know, a two year old and so we had a great time together and then we went and grabbed some breakfast and I dropped them off at their house come home and said to Ivy hey Ivy, uh, I I was kind of wanting to go back in the afternoon to watch the planes take off at the end of the day and that sort of thing, you want to go and she was, oh yeah so we went back down and uh, and so we got to see the planes as they were kind of pulling them out of the hangar and as they were warming up and uh, taking off and flying and all of that and uh, that was just a lot of fun Well, one of the planes that they had there was a C-47 transport. It was one of the main transport planes that they used uh, during World War II. And on this particular plane, it was uh, painted with the black and white stripes on the wings and on the fuselage. Anybody know why that was? It was Big D-Day, right? Um, And so it was to avoid confusion. And Really what it was was to avoid friendly fire. Because you see on uh, 11th of July, 1943, in the invasion of Sicily, 1,900 paratroopers flying in, let me get my numbers right, 144 C-47 transport planes uh, flew over while they were, they were flying over some of the Allied um, fortifications on their way into Sicily. And, uh, and, and these anti-aircraft batteries, these Allied, antir- antir- ugh, Allied anti-aircraft, aircraft, you know what I mean, <laughs> have been attacked by the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force. So they were on edge, these planes are coming at night, and they mistakenly thought these C-47 transports were the Luftwaffe coming back for another attack. And so they shot down a number of the planes. The statistics are uh, that 23 planes were shot down, 37 were damaged, 318 killed or wounded, among them 60 airmen and 81 paratroopers killed by friendly fire. We see a little bit different kind of friendly fire in Acts chapter 15. Look with me in verse 1, and then we'll also look down in verse 5. In verse 1, Acts chapter 15. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now, down in verse five, but there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So these were believing Jews, but we call them Judaizers because they said it is necessary for you to be circumcised. Uh, now, remember this, that, that Judea, that area up to Antioch and Syria was a 300 mile trip. So these Judaizers traveled 300 miles to go up to this church to tell the Gentiles, hey, listen, you're not saved because you have to be circumcised. And what was circumcision all about? Well, circumcision was the initiation and it was the way in which you entered into the covenant with Israel under the law. But the Bible made it very clear that when you entered into that Old Testament law covenant that you were committed to not just keep certain rituals or rites like circumcision, but you had to keep the whole law. So that was not just the moral law, that was also the dietary laws and the other civil laws that were under the Old Testament law system. Remember that the Pharisees in the days of the early New Testament and in Jesus' days of his earthly ministry went about trying to establish their own righteousness through keeping the law. They thought through doing good works and by being better than others around them that they could earn merit with God. But the Bible very clearly tells us, and we even read it in Galatians chapter 3, that salvation does not come by the deeds of the law, that you cannot be justified, you cannot be declared righteous by God through your own good works or through keeping his law. Because the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible declares for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us have perfectly or could ever perfectly keep God's law because we are all sinners because of that we are condemned in our sin. And that was not the purpose of the, of the Old Testament law was to point us to Christ. That's what Paul says there in Galatians. Look, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And and the whole intention of the Old Testament law and all of the different ceremonies that they had observed and all of the sacrifices were all pictures. They were illustrations that were to point Israel's focus to the coming Messiah and so their worship though they were offering sacrifices and observing these laws in obedience to the commands of God it was to be an expression of their faith not a a ritual by which they were trying to earn merit with God salvation has always been by faith it has never been by works these men did not, as we see later on, they did not go by an official commission from the Jerusalem church. You could call these guys mavericks. Look down at verse 24, though we won't get that far today. The Bible says, for as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. So it was not the apostles and the elders that said, hey, go tell them this. These were guys that went on their own. Now, we cannot question their motives. I find it interesting that Luke, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he writes this scripture, does not speak to the motives of these men. Whether they were sincere and well-intentioned, whether they were just mistaken, uh, it was the only thing that they knew. The Bible does not say, but it was friendly fire. Gentiles who had been preached that salvation was through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone, who had received that forgiveness of sin and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now they're saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's not enough. you got to go back to square one and start over. And you've got to be circumcised and enter into the covenant of the law or you cannot be saved. So they were subverting the faith of these new believers. So look now at the firm stand in defense of the gospel by Paul and Barnabas. Look at verse 2. The Bible says, wherefore, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go to Jerusalem under the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phenis and Samaria and declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. And they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. Now look down at verses six and seven. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter arose. And then Peter addresses them, and we will look at Peter's message. Matter of fact, this is final, final, Peter's final message as recorded in the book of Acts. After this, Peter passes off the scene of the story in the book of Acts. But what he says here is of great importance and really was helpful for the church. Paul and Barnabas immediately and directly addressed this false teaching. You know, Satan loves to cause division. He loves to cause us to argue or to fight over things. And sometimes just to kind of think against one another in our minds, not actually coming to an actual confrontation. But it is not right for us to say, well, I don't want to be divisive, therefore I'm not going to confront this. No well how could there have been unity again in the body of christ by confronting the error and if the judaizers would have repented and said this is wrong teaching we repent after hearing the teaching of the word of god and the testimony of the apostles we consent we agree we were wrong don't listen to what we said at first then there could have been unity within the church and i believe that that is paul and barnabas that's the intention of why they confronted these judaizers It was also that pastoral heart of defending their sheep. Here are these these Gentiles who'd been saved. And the church there in the third largest city in the Roman Empire, Antioch in Syria, the message was spreading. Believers were being established in doctrine. They were witnessing. People were being reached with the gospel. They were being established in the faith. And now all of a sudden this disruption comes up and Satan loves to cause division. But folks, we can never withhold biblical confrontation in love just for the sake of not being considered divisive. We must confront error. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. We must call false doctrine, false doctrine. And we must call the truth, the truth, and we must stand for the truth. Paul and Barnabas, or excuse me, Paul and yeah, Barnabas stood for the truth. Paul and Barnabas stood. It's interesting, the word dissension, they had no small dissension with them. That word actually means to stand. They took a stand against what was being taught. It also means an uprising, which means it was an outward, vehement, straightforward, publicly declared. All right? Because this was something that the Judaizers were doing. When it says that they taught this, it's literally in that imperfect tense, meaning that they were teaching this. And they were going to keep on teaching this. So let me warn you that if anybody in Berean Baptist Church or anybody comes into our assembly and they begin to disseminate something that is not biblical and scriptural, I will confront it. Our pastors will confront it. And we won't just do it in a corner. Now, the first time, we might come to you privately and say, hey, listen, this is what the Word of God says. You need to repent of this. And if you're not going to repent of this, then you either need to leave and go somewhere where they believe that, or you need to come, be quiet, study, listen, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you, and seek to learn God's truth in this manner. But clearly, and it's not just about preferences, folks. I'm not going to talk about preferences. I'm not going to talk about standards, which are practical applications of biblical principles. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about clear scriptural doctrine and teaching. We must immediately confront it and deal with it. If a doctor were to tell you that you had cancer, would you say, oh, okay, well, what stage is it? Is it stage four? Well, no, it's not there yet. Oh, okay, great. Well, then I'm not going to do anything. That would be foolish because it can metastasize and it can grow and it can spread. The time to deal with that cancer is as soon as it's discovered, like many other health issues that we would have. And this is the same thing, folks. This will attack the body of Christ. We must confront false teaching. And Paul and Barnabas did so immediately. They stood. This was publicly declared. It was, quote, that same word, uprising, which means they were very vocal about it, very straightforward. I do not believe they were mean-spirited. They were being led of the Holy Spirit of God. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, temperance. But just because we're walking in the Spirit and we're bearing the fruit of the Spirit does not also mean that we did not stand for the truth and are lovingly firm to declare the truth and to confront error. The Antioch Church sent Paul and Barnabas with a delegation to Jerusalem to address this issue, for it lay at the heart of the gospel. And thus this was the core to Christianity. And this was not something over which godly brethren just disagreed. This was striking at the gospel, the very nature of the gospel, the doctrine of soteriology. All believers need to be aware, needed to be aware of this false teaching, and a clear doctrinal declaration of the nature of the gospel was needed as an antidote to this error. So along the way, they reported to the churches in Phoenicia and in Samaria. Those were established churches even older than the church at Antioch. And as they go, they begin to declare, and the word to declare means they gave specific instances. They were in great detail sharing how God saved the Gentiles and the work that he did on their first missionary journey. And you know what? Those folks were rejoicing. There's two things I want you to notice. First, the churches didn't question the salvation of those Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas said, God saved them. And listen to the story. And here's their, the, the testimony of these so many who trusted Christ. And they didn't say, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Were they circumcised? You know, they, they didn't question that. And they, they, they rejoiced. They accepted. They believed it. The second thing is that the nature of this issue to be addressed, though it lay at the core of Christianity because it spoke to the nature of the gospel. This was such a serious matter, but you know what? It did not steal the joy from the apostles or keep them from rejoicing in what God has done. And folks, we rejoice in what God does. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And we're not going to be a bunch of sour pusses around here uh, just because we may have to take a stand and fight some battles and some people might speak against the truth that we are preaching because we don't preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and we preach his word. But we can do so with joy and we can do so with love and i believe always with the intent and with the desire that the holy spirit would confront those who are in error and rebuke them and show them the truth that they may repent remember again that these were believing jews these are the sect of the pharisees who had believed that were in agreement with those that had gone up to the antioch church and so when this question came up, there was a quite a contingency of the Jews within the Christian church who were believers that, but they said, yeah, we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, that he's Messiah and you must put your faith in him. But if you're a Gentile, wait a minute, first you got to come through Israel and you got to be part of the covenant, which starts with circumcision. And so Paul and Barnabas and, no, and, and, and look at this too. Paul and Barnabas did not claim exclusive insight. But they cooperated with the elders and the apostles in discerning this. Look back, if you would, with me in our passage. The Bible says in verse 6, And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. The word consider means to perceive. They came together to speak through this, to talk through this, and to define or to hammer out, if you would, a clear doctrinal statement of the gospel. Leaders, These leaders came together to decide the issue. They didn't just let the issue sit. They didn't just leave it to the conscience of each believer. This was a matter of spiritual life and death. And the question raised by the Jerusalem Council was immense. Here's the question. Here's the heart of the question. Are Christians made right with God by faith alone or by a combination of faith and obedience to the law of Moses? Is the work of Jesus by itself enough to save the one who trusts in Jesus Or must we add our work to Jesus' work in order to be made right with God? And now Peter speaks up within this council of the apostles and elders. Look with me, if you would, at the rest of our text, verses 7 through 11, as the apostle Peter speaks. And when there had been much disputing, this is a, the word disputing here is, the, is literally it means to exchange questions. So there was this dialogue of theological questions. I believe based on Old Testament scriptures as well as the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit that He had placed upon the apostles. Remember, these apostles were specifically chosen by Jesus Christ. They did not just volunteer. They did not just choose for themselves to be apostles. Or say, I was called to God to be an apostle. No, Jesus Christ handpicked these apostles. All right? And so this divine revelation given to them directly by God of the Old Testament scriptures and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to these apostles, they address this issue because of its great importance. And the apostle Peter stands up and he says, Men and brethren, ye know that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. When did that happen? Remember the story of Cornelius? Remember how that Peter was up on the rooftop about lunchtime, and God gives him the vision of the sheet that's lowered, and in it were clean and unclean animals. And the voice says, "Peter, rise, kill and eat." And Peter says, "No way, nothing unclean's ever gone through these lips. Isn't it interesting? That God put clean and unclean animals in there. Do you remember the point that I made when I preached that message a little while back? The point being that if clean animals are in with unclean animals, what does that make the clean animals now? Unclean. So Peter's like, uh-uh, because that's defiled, Lord. You know, Wasn't that quite the picture or illustration, by the way, of the church in the Jewish mind? The Jews, the clean ones the accepted ones, the chosen of God, and then the Gentiles, the ones that were ceremonially unclean that had not yet been accepted into the kingdom. And this happened three times. And the Lord said to him, Don't you call unclean what I've called clean. Thereby he is declaring that salvation is for all Jews and Gentiles. This is to what Peter is referring. He said that by my mouth, the Lord should make the gospel known to the Gentiles. And what he's saying now is that, folks, this was not what God did with Cornelius and his household a while back. By the way, a while back is about 12 years before. Look, 12 years ago? I mean, this is nothing new, folks. Uh, Cornelius and and his household were saved. Don't you think Cornelius and his family probably led some other Gentiles to faith in Jesus Christ in that time? Absolutely. He said a while ago this happened. But, folks, this was not an exception. This is God's plan. Look further in our passage. And God, which knoweth the hearts, key word, key phrase, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts, how? By faith. Not by the covenant of the law. Not by the ritual of circumcision. They were purified by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye or test ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved even as they. Some points. God chose to display the coming of the Holy Spirit upon Cornelius and the other Gentiles. Remember, it wasn't just Cornelius and his family. He gathered friends and family. He gathered a great multitude and said, hey, listen, here was a man who was a God-fearer, Cornelius, a Gentile Roman centurion, and he was pursuing after knowing God, and God gave him further revelation, specific revelation, because he had responded to what revelation he had been given at that point and was seeking after God. Did not God promise in his word, ye shall find me when ye shall search for me with all your hearts. And God calls Peter to preach to Cornelius. Cornelius believes, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them in a very obvious way. In this instance, to the confirmation of immediate salvation of the Gentiles upon their placing personal faith in Jesus. He did it exactly the same way as he did for the Jews, even as he did to us is what Peter says. Listen to this account going back to Acts chapter 10 verses 43 to 48. To him give all the prophets witness. This is Peter preaching to Cornelius. This is where he comes to the conclusion of his message and calls them to repentance and faith. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. They of the circumcision which believed were astonished, and as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost, as well as we, literally after the same manner, in the exact same way as we did, go back and study Pentecost. The obvious sending of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and upon those who believed when the gospel was preached at Pentecost. Does God always give this outward sign of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when somebody comes to faith in Christ? No. No. Today, the normative way is that when a person repents and puts their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, immediately the promise according to Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4 and other passages of Scripture declare that the Holy Spirit comes to indwell and seal the believer. I am indwelt by the Spirit of God. And I am sealed, as the, and that is the down payment expression of God for the final salvation that i shall experience for all of eternity in the very presence of the lord jesus christ the holy spirit teaches me he guides me into truth the holy spirit comforts me he walks alongside as i study the word of god the holy spirit teaches me and if you're a born again believer the holy spirit indwells you and you say well i've never spoken in tongues I've never had a flame of fire come on, a tongue of fire over my head, or or I have never had, you know, never glorified God in some supernatural way. We can believe what the word of God says. We don't need an experience to confirm it. Why then did God have this outward display of the coming of the Holy Spirit upon Cornelius and upon this household? To confirm to the Jewish believers that just as the Holy Spirit came upon them. Upon their salvation, he did it in the exact same way with the Gentiles. There is no difference. You don't need to come through the law. You don't have to be circumcised. Salvation is immediate because a person receives the Holy Spirit immediately upon salvation. God purified the Gentiles as well as the Jews through faith, not by the covenant of circumcision. One Bible scholar writes this, For a Pharisee to really be a Christian, it would take more than an acknowledgement that Jesus was Messiah. He would have to forsake his attempts to justify himself by keeping of the law and accept the work of Jesus as the basis of his justification. In Lystra, Paul and Barnabas did not allow the pagans to merely add Jesus to their pantheon of Roman gods. They commanded that they turn from their vain gods to the true God. That's Acts 14. Acts 14. These Pharisees who had become Christians had to do the same thing. Turn from their efforts to earn their way before God by keeping the law and look to Jesus. You can't just add Jesus and now say, Jesus, help me to justify myself through keeping the law. Amen. You add nothing to what Jesus did when he died on the cross for you. God gave the law to show the inability of man to keep it. Christ fulfilled the law that we could not keep. Again, I refer you back to our scripture reading this morning in Galatians chapter three, verses 21 to 26. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus, remember that was the promise God made directly to Abraham, which preceded any written scripture up to that point, and preceded the giving of the law, might be given to them that afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And when Peter says in verse 11, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they, he is saying every person is saved in the same way, By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Folks, faith is not the first part of salvation whereby we must do good works to complete our salvation or to maintain and keep our salvation. Although baptism, church membership, Christian service are good things that God expects of his children, they are not conditional for (coughs) salvation. God's promise of faith in Messiah to Abraham preceded the giving of the law. And that's Paul's whole point there in Galatians chapter three, that the law does not nullify the promise of God. The law was part of God's plan to lead Israel to see their need for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Today, we need to understand that salvation is nothing of our own effort. When Jesus... Died on the cross. What is it that he said before he yielded up the ghost? It is finished. The propitiatory propitiatory sacrifice of Christ on the cross completed the payment. The work was done by Christ on the cross. The price was paid. And there's nothing that we can add to it or we call christ a liar for he said it's finished the work is done christ fulfilled the law on our behalf we who've broken the law that we could be made righteous through him therefore my friend if you are trusting in jesus christ and a denomination if you are trusting in jesus christ and baptism If you believe that you must trust Jesus Christ to have eternal life, but then you've got to stay saved by doing good works and not sinning, you misunderstand the gospel. And I encourage you to see whether you are in the faith because the gospel is this, faith alone in Christ alone plus nothing. Has there ever been that time when you have turned from relying upon yourself and anything that you could do and placed your faith wholly and completely in the Lord Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, if you turned to the living Son of God and called on him in personal faith and received eternal life. And that alone. If not, we're going to give an invitation in a moment. We'll stand with our heads bowed. Our pastors will be at the back of our auditorium. Just come to the back down to these three doors in the back here in the middle. And we'll have one of our pastors pair you up with a trained counselor. We'll take you to a quiet private place and show you the way of salvation and answer any questions you might have from the word of God so that you can receive the gift of eternal life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when we are faced with error, we need to confront it in love but firmly immediately not with delay we need to desire when we do confront and pray with expectation that god would speak to those who are in error and turn them back to the truth at the same time considering ourselves to be sure that we are being sound in the faith ourselves We need to not, and we do not here at Marian Baptist Church claim to have any corner on the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The scriptures, Jesus said to praying for us in John 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus is the living truth. The word of God is the inscripturated truth. It is eternal. It is unchanging. We do not have a corner on the truth. We come to God's word. We believe on Jesus Christ and him alone for eternal life. That is the way of salvation. And it has been clearly declared in the scriptures today. And I trust that you will put your faith in him if you have not. And if you have as a believer, lovingly confront false doctrine. Do not allow others to continue to walk in error how will they know the truth unless you share it with them faithful the bible says are the wounds of a friend but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful and when there are times when you have to take a godly stand and brothers and sisters in christ may oppose you or unbelievers may persecute you do not let it rob you of your joy do not stop rejoicing because our joy is not founded in our circumstances, but in our Savior and in our relationship with him and in the promises of his work. What a blessing that we get to be a part of his eternal plan and that he incorporates us to use us for the furtherance of his kingdom. And someday in eternity, we will rejoice with him forever. If you are not part of the redeemed, if you don't know for sure where your soul would spend eternity, please come to Christ today. Let's bow our heads. In a moment, we'll stand. Our pastors will be at the back. We would welcome you to go back there and to receive the help you need from God's Word, whether you need to find the way of salvation, maybe you are a believer, and you say, look, there's something which... I need some help, something I don't understand, or there's a decision I know I need to make to walk in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm struggling with this. Whatever your need is for biblical counsel, we want to make that available to you right now. So in a moment when we stand and the music plays, you can head towards the back and someone will help you. If you want to, as a believer, just stay right where you are and pray before the Lord. That is between you and him. But I just want to remind all of us That the truth that we have heard today as ministered by the Holy Spirit, we will be held accountable for someday before our Lord. So may we be found humble, faithful, obedient stewards of the truth that we have received today. Would you stand with me right now as our heads are bound, as our pianist begins to play. If you need to do business with God, if you need some biblical counsel, right now while I'm speaking, would you head to the back? See one of our pastors. And we'll get you that help that you would, that you need.